Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today, bro? Praising God. He is good. Amen, amen, and we are so excited today. We have a special, special episode for you guys. Just a quick update for you guys that were asking about Joe. He is doing excellent. In fact, I think uh, the last time I saw him was the most amount of energy that he had, and so we are excited to get him back here. He was trying with everything in his power to convince me to let him come sit across from me and do some shows this <laughs> He's week. probably chomping at the bit. He yeah. is chomping at the bit, but I would not let him, and I'm excited today because I'm getting a little bit of a rest today because we're going to be talking about a really, really important subject. And I want to introduce to you the guest that we're going to be having today on the Good Fight Radio Show because we are going to have a guest talking about something that is very, very important to us and as a ministry. It's very, very important to where we stand when it comes to what the Bible says. But before I get to that, I'm going to introduce you to who we're having on this show. I want to give his, I guess, his bio, and then I'll introduce him. And this man that we'll be having on the show has been producing videos since he was 11 years old. And in fact, he's been producing creation science media since 1996. He's an Emmy-nominated. He's produced programming for networks like National Geographic, Fox Sports, ESPN and the Outdoor Channel. He involves his family in all, in many of the programs and all of his ministry and the stuff that he is doing for the Lord, including hosting and producing while traveling with his family in an RV. He now has over 35 documentaries and kids shows on science from a biblical worldview. He's developed a subscription channel for their programs and other providers for homeschool use and for science enthusiasts. I know that's really important to us as homeschoolers. And he also broadcasts content throughout the world on video on demand platforms and broadcast television net and, and broadcast television networks. And he also works with all um, all the major ministries like Answers in Genesis, who you can hear on the Good Fight Radio Network, uh, Ken Ham, for example, Institute of Creation Research, and Creation Ministries International. And his ministry is called Awesome Science Media. And I'd love for you guys to check out their website. Tony will put a link in the description. But with all of that, I want to introduce the founder of Awesome Science Media, Kyle Justice. How are we doing today, brother? Doing awesome. Boy, that was a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I'm, I was hyping you up, and I'm hoping that, that, that we're going to knock this out of the park, because I do believe that this is such an important topic, and it's an important topic to our ministry, because I do believe where you stand on what Genesis says, where you stand on what scriptures say, will say a lot about what you believe going forward uh, in the gospel. It has a huge effect on those things. So that's why it's awesome to be able to have a brother in Christ, where we have agreement on what these subjects say, but one of the things that the secularist and also what we'd call old earth creationists attack typically, one of the first things they attack is the flood and whether or not it was a global flood or a local flood. And that's something that we want to dig into on this episode with you guys. So with, with all of that, we want to talk about the evidences for a global flood. And I guess the best place to start is 
What would be the starting point as a Christian when it comes to looking at the global flood? Well, when you look at Scripture and what we believe, it becomes what we call a biblical worldview. You know, how do we view the world based upon our view of what we believe the Bible says? And the Bible says that there was a worldwide flood, that God used it in, as a judgment against the earth. And, you know, even Jesus himself in Matthew 24, he refers to Noah, as in the days of Noah, so be the coming of the Son of Man. And it's like, wow, the judgment's coming and the judgment came before, and Jesus himself is using it as an example. If it, if it really didn't happen, then why would Jesus even bring it up? You know, that, it's like, okay. Um, you know, passages like Isaiah 54, Isaiah refers to Noah and the flood. In Second Peter, we read uh, this whole description of what happened at the time of the flood, and if people forget the flood, then they can easily excuse the coming judgment. And so... You know, we believe that there is a coming judgment, and there was a worldwide flood, and because Scripture says so, and, and people like Isaiah, Peter, and Jesus also confirmed it. But did you know that there are also over 300 flood legends and stories from around the world that have some some type of similar story to Noah and the flood? So it's not just the Bible. There are other stories because it's based on a real event, but the Bible is the most accurate uh, description of what happened because it was written through the Holy Spirit, through men, to us. So that's exciting, but that's our starting point, is that the flood really did happen because the Bible says it, but there's other confirmations through it. So it's exciting to know that uh, the Bible is the true Word of God. Amen, amen. So why do you believe that there's this skepticism concerning the global flood? Well, I really believe it's a spiritual issue, meaning that if people can deny that there was a, a global flood, they can deny that there was, there's a coming judgment. And man, you, <laughs> you look around the world, and it is really going downhill fast. And you think, man, God's judgment is coming pretty soon. But if you don't believe the flood, you might not believe in the coming judgment either. So, uh, But really, if there's a judgment, it means that we're also accountable to a creator, and that one day we will stand before him. And so, really, to dismiss the, if you dismiss the flood, then you can kind of live any way you want. There's no judgment at all. And so, I'd really come, I think the skepticism comes, because if they can deny it, then, hey, they can, you know, live any way they want, and God's not going to judge them. So, you know, that's really, I think, why there's, they, they just want to disprove it so they can live which way they want. Yeah, suppress that truth and unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says in the antediluvian age, right? Um, so how did doubt arise when it comes to the global flood? How did this doubt start coming about? Well, you know, it's interesting when you go back and you study history, you know, really for, for hundreds, even thousands of years, there were groups of people that believed that there was a global flood. But then in about the 18th century, the Enlightenment came in. And if you really study that, the Enlightenment really focused on taking people away from the Word of God because they were in rebellion. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> want to live by the Word of God. And it really drove people to humanism, you know, that man is being elevated and God really doesn't exist anymore. It became known as the age of reason. Uh, and so science, you know, really became big. Darwin you know, uh, published Origin of Species in 1859. People like Charles Lyell, who's known as the father of modern geology, 
you know, he authored books and he developed this thing called uniformitarianism. Try and say that five times fast. <laughs> but what happened is they started to change the worldview that slow and gradual processes are what caused everything we see in geology as well as biology and things happen by chance. I mean, this whole uh, doubt was brought in and even now Christians, it's influenced the church and some Christians just haven't heard really the, the solid, challenging evidence for that worldview, and they don't know what to believe, and sometimes they mesh together different ideas, like what, like the gap theory is one, where, you know, big gaps happen between, uh, you know, Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-2, or some call the, you know, the, the thousand, or the uh, each day, the day-age theory, where, you know, they say, well, there was long ages in each day, but the Bible doesn't say that. It actually says it was a you know 24-hour day. And what's interesting is science has grown. We see more and more evidence that supports Scripture rather than supports the idea of evolution. Yeah, it's really interesting. I remember reading uh, some commentaries on Genesis and so forth as a young believer and seeing these ideas of gap there, even from guys like A.W. Pink, where a lot of people consider him you know, very conservative yeah. in a lot of ways. And you're like, what, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know, why, why is this happening? I, I'm just like, why would you throw this in there in these two verses? I've never seen a, a greater display of an anachronistic eisegesis where you add into the text whatever you wanted mm -hmm. to say to coalesce and just to be a part of whatever the modern culture has told you. As ha Especially, it's just, it, I find it absolutely ridiculous. So, I, I think that uh, I think a good place to go is what is the modern view of geology nowadays? Yeah, well, it, it you know I mentioned uniformitarianism, and that slow changes there's slow changes over long periods of time, and um, in fact they're so long that we don't it's really hard to see them. We can't even see them operating in science today, and so this whole idea of uniformitarianism. Uh, has crept everywhere. It's crept into uh, universities. Uh, it's crept into even Christian colleges are now uh, really, a lot of them are promoting this. And uh, a lot of the evidence really goes, that they point to, goes to what they call the geologic column. That it shows, you know, billions of years. Everyone's, uh, most people should be familiar with that. You know, that this layer goes back, you know, 270 million years. This layer goes back you know, four billion years, you know, so there's all these different levels in the geologic column. And what's interesting is they point to the fossils in those layers. And they said, you know, it goes from simple life forms, which actually they're not simple as they've been studying them, uh, you know, up to the top layers that seem to be more complex. And so they use this as a modern view to say, it's long periods of time, the earth sure looks old, and, you know, these layers and the fossils in these layers show that it was a long period of time. And so that's, that's what's interesting, because what started to happen is events like Mount St. Helens and other catastrophic processes. In fact, when they, Mount St. Helens went off, they realized, wait a minute, there are other mysteries in geology, and they realized that catastrophic processes are actually much more prevalent as they studied other geologic formations, because they were a mystery. And so I'm kind of stepping into kind of the next question, but there are some things that began to change this perception. Yeah, yeah, let's get into that. What are what events did begin to change their perception on this? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because um, some people still hold to uniformitarianism, slow changes, but this whole catastrophic processes are, are becoming more and more evident that they've happened in our history. What's also interesting, too, like you mentioned, even some old study Bibles and so on, they alluded to uniformitarianism, long ages, they, you know, all different ideas. But in 1961, uh, there's Morrison Whitcomb came out with what's called the Genesis Flood, and it proposed that the earth was young, the flood was real. It was really amazing, this, this huge work. And it started changing a lot of scientists' perceptions of science, mostly Christians, because a lot of non-Christian or secular scientists, they just didn't want to believe that there was a flood. And so they kind of ignored a lot of this stuff, or they tried to discredit it. But as I said, Mount St. Helens was a huge uh, event that happened that started to explain uh, vast processes and, and different layering and, and so on. And that's a whole other subject we could probably spend a whole episode on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Steve Austin has done a lot of work up there, and we've created a documentary on that subject. But what was interesting is that it provided these these, samp- these examples of how things could happen rapidly and not over millions and billions of years. And essentially, as science has progressed, there's more and more holes in the uniformitarian theory and they've frankly been challenged. And, you know, we've asked people in our documentaries and our programs to take an honest look and, and examine the evidence for themselves. And uh, we believe that the overwhelming amount of evidence points towards a biblical record of creation and the global flood. Yeah, so what challenges, you know, are we able to make when it comes to the uniformitarian view? I'll try not to say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> No, and, 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 you know, if we focus specifically on the global flood, and, and that really is the, the big difference, because we look at all the layers. I mentioned the geologic column with the fossils, all of these things. The flood is really a huge, huge event that caused a lot of what we see in geology. But let's take a look at some specific examples. So it's interesting, when you study the layers uh, and the fossils in those layers, there's massive worldwide fossil burial. In other words, um, each layer just has massive amounts of fossils. And what's interesting is there's similar creatures uh, in these similar layers uh, throughout the Earth. And we know that 90 to 95% or more of all, most of the fossils are marine fossils. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That the marine fossils, meaning there's oceans, and there's uh, currents, and there's all these things sifting around the sediments and burying these creatures, but most of them were uh, ocean-going marine fossils. And so that should tell us something, that maybe there was some type of worldwide event. Um, You know, how could you have small regional floods like they talk about with such uniform similarity around the world? Around the world. It's not localized, it's like, wow, if we go to North America, we see similar fossils, you know, in one layer and across in another layer over in Europe and Asia. Um, For instance, kind of another thing would be sea creatures are found on the highest mountains. Uh, Did you know that there's sedimentary layers and marine fossils in the top of Mount Everest? Ooh, that's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) How did they get there? (laughs) Most people don't know that. You know, naturalists believe that the mountains grew over billions of years, and even that there's been several 
generations of mountains, up to three generations of mountain building they talk about. But what's interesting is that they can measure the erosion rate at which uh, mountains and the rest of the surface of the earth erode at. You know, you can see a big rainstorm come through and you can definitely see, you know, uh, different erosion happening. Well, they can use that rate. And if the earth just stayed still and the erosion happened, it would take somewhere between 10 and 20 million years for the earth to be eroded flat. I mean, that's pretty fast using the current conditions. And so you have to have mountain building. You have to have a lot going on. And there's even evidence to show that that rate was faster in the past. So, you know, (laughs) it's probably less in that if they use those same rules that they would use in uniformitarianism. But what's interesting is for sea creatures to be on the highest peaks, the mountains would have to build before the rate of erosion took them out. It kind of seems impossible based on even using their own ideas of what we see today determines what we see in the past. They say, uh, you know, seas uh, came in, regional seas, and laid down each layer, and then they rose slowly, but they went very tall on Mount Everest. It seems pretty unlikely. But if the conditions were right during the flood where there was a lot of catastrophic tectonics going on and geology of things lifting up and valleys sinking down, as it says in the Psalms, then mountains could actually build very fast. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to show that they did uh, build very fast and move up through the the uh, different parts like uh, the, the the Himalayas and so on. And it would seem that the sea creatures on top of those mountaintops would, would <laughs> give a pretty strong reason <laughs> that it was the flood. Wow, so, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a few other examples. Do we have more time? Yeah, yeah. we de- we got plenty of time. Yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, too, when you... I've been around to in our touring and our, our shooting of footage and documentaries. There's some great sites uh, to see fossils. What's fascinating is that there's exquisite preservation of these fossils in the fossil record. And... You know, naturalists would say that if the fossil layers we see today were formed over millions of years by slow and gentle seas coming in and out and animals dying and going to the bottom of the ocean, then, you know, being covered. And yet, if you think about it, God has put processes in place to make, like, the bottoms of the ocean. You know, have you ever seen, uh, you know, these these documentaries where they show the bottom of the ocean and what's down on the deep parts? Do you see, like, thousands of dead things lying there? No. You don't. No. <laughs> you see sand because God has created a great system of decomposition and scavengers and so on. So to say that you know these great fossils uh, are on the bottom of the ocean over millions of years or a few thousand years or however long it takes to bury them, it, it doesn't work with what we see in using just good science. And so... But what's interesting is these fossils are so exquisite, they, they had to have been buried quickly in, uh, all over the globe, not just uh, regionally. In fact, did you know that there's some fossils, there's an ichthyosaur that was buried giving birth, and it got <laughs> buried giving birth? How fast would it take for a flood to come in or the sediment to come and bury that? Very, very quickly. Uh, there's another very famous fossil of a fish inside of a fish. In other words, it ate the fish, but it was fossilized so quickly it didn't even have time to digest that fish. Wow. And so there's, and this isn't, it isn't localized. This is all around the world. 
And so this, it would have to have been very, 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 very quickly. Um, it's interesting that there's uh, another thing is rapid deposition uh, of sediments across continents. For instance, uh, there are some layers like the chalk beds that we see in the, on the UK coastline, the hills of Dover, the white cliffs. I'm sure you're familiar with those. But those same layers show up in the mid, Midwest in uh, areas like Kansas and so on. Also in Germany, Turkey, Israel, Middle East. And the fossils are very similar. That's one layer that goes all across North America all the way towards Asia. And there are other layers like that. And it's like, how could you have regional floods lay down these layers that seem to connect all the way across? But a global flood sure could do that. And so, I mean, these are just some of the things. There's a lot more. Um, what's also interesting in some of these layers is that you would, if it were millions of years, you know, trees are going to grow. You're going to have, uh, you know, animals and so on uh, burrowing into the layers. But what's happening is if we look at the layers, there, there's very little of this evidence of, of trees growing. It's almost like they were laid down rapidly with not enough time for trees to grow and burrowing animals and such. And some of these layers are thousands of feet thick. Uh, we can see this even at the Grand Canyon. The Redwall limestone can be found in the Grand Canyon, but also in Tennessee and Pennsylvania. It went across the whole continent, and it's thousands of, of feet thick. So this is rapid burial, rapid sedimentation. And what's also interesting, too, is there's uh, uh, between the layers, there's no evidence of uh, very little erosion between the strata, meaning if one layer they say, uh, uniformitarian would say that in the Grand Canyon, some of those layers were laid down, and then like a few million years went by, and then the next layer laid down. Well, if a few million years, you would see evidence of like riverbeds, you would see, again, tree roots and so on, on top, on the top layer. But the only layer that we see that evidence is on the very top layer where you can walk around, but nothing in those in-between layers. So, I mean, just, it just keeps piling. <laughs> Another thing is bent folded rock layers. Um, I floated the Grand Canyon a couple years ago, and there's this uh, amazing uh, uh, fold in the rock layer down on the bottom in the Moab limestone. And the thing of it is, is you look at that folded layer of rock, how could it have been folded? And the simplest answer is that when those layers are being laid down, the sedimentary layers, um, they were soft. And we know during the flood that there's just, just tumultuous activity happening geologically. And so a lot of this pushing and pulling of the, of the sediment and so on would have caused these, these folded layers. But if it were laid down over millions and millions of years, these different layers, how would you get folds in it? Um, if it were, uh, if you had some type of a fault or something that lifted one layer, you would see cracking and you would see uh, a lot of, of really uh, violent type rock formation where the fold is just beautiful. It's amazing. And it only had to have been done if it were done by water and that the layers were soft. Now they, they say, well, maybe the rocks heated up and then they kind of oozed a little bit and then they folded and then they cooled back down. Well, there's one big problem with that. And that is that when you heat up rocks, it's called metamorphosized rocks. And those, those rocks actually change into other types of rocks. And so those sand layers 
uh, the sandstone layers that have the folds in them, they would have turned into quartzite and marble and other metamorphic rocks, but they're not there. They're, they're still sandstone. And so they weren't heated up. They, they didn't heat up and make those folds. But the flood would seem to answer a lot of these questions. So <laughs> anyway, we can keep going. There's, there's other stuff where uh, even ancient cultures that we look at, they seem to have sprung up. Uh, you know, usually like America, you can look and you can look over the last 200 years and see how we progressed mm -hmm. in our uh, technology and, and the world. But there are some uh, ancient cultures that seem to have sprung up and they have high technology and they've kind of degraded and we've lost some of that technology. How did that happen? The global flood happened. As the Bible says, Noah got off the ark. They started to develop, but they already had a lot of knowledge of technology and, 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 you know, how to put cities together. Maybe Noah had a collection of a nice library, you know, that, that told the future generations what happened. We don't know, but they sprung up out of nowhere. And if evolution are true, then it, we should see an, an evolving, not a devolving of some of the things that are going on. So anyway, <laughs> we keep going. A lot of our programs feature a lot of these things, but that's just some of the few examples that I have that would really showcase that the global flood did happen. Yeah, and, and I want you guys, once again, we'll have the link to his website here on our page, and, and go check that out. And you have a number of different uh, episodes and different things that you can provide for them as well if they want to, for those who, those listeners that want to get deeper. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, we have our main website, and you can see little clips um, on our social media as well. Um, we do have an online store that people can order DVDs. There's a link on our main uh, site up at the top that says, uh, uh, as far as you know, how to shop for our stuff. Uh, we're really excited though because we've turned a lot of our content uh, into a streaming platform. Uh, you can get all the content for you know ten dollars a month, so it's pretty amazing. And we even provide study guides that uh, homeschool families and pastors and and people can print and and use, uh, you know, if they're going to teach it more in-depthly or just study it themselves. So, um, and we're adding more and more content as well as other people's content we're starting to include beyond what we produce. So we really want to kind of be a, a, a Netflix, science Christian Netflix, as it were, and uh, we're starting to really grow, and it's exciting to see what God's doing. Praise the Lord. That is awesome. And we got about two minutes for you to answer this last question, which is a perfect question to answer before we end the show, because... We're talking about the global flood. You're giving evidences. You're telling, hey, we're, there's way more than that. This is You're just scratching the surface on this episode, and you got more to give. But with all of that, we got to ask, why is the global flood being true important to Christians? Oh, great question. Yeah. You know, often Christians don't feel they have much to stand on when they're bombarded with you know all of these, these evolutionary, naturalistic teachings and dogma. And... The amazing thing is that we do have answers. And more often than not, everyone I talk to who does this type of work, they're like, we just go out and we hear people say all the time, we just haven't heard this. Why haven't we heard this? And so, you know, just getting out, understanding, and that, um, you know, we, we have the faith that the Bible is true from the very first verse, especially as we get to, to learn some of these things. But it's important that we don't use these facts to you know, try and, you know, pound into people. If they only knew the facts, they would turn. Because remember, it's a spiritual issue. And so, you know, people might ask questions. We, we should have answers, as the Scripture says. 
but also that we share in the love of Christ with this last generation. And so, you know, our programs, we hope to encourage the church and build up their faith so that, you know, people don't walk away from the faith going, oh, we don't have the answers, the world has the answers. But we want to encourage people to, that, you know, the answers exist, um, and science really does fulfill Scripture. And uh, they can believe it from the very first verse, and we're excited to be able to bring that to people. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys just got bombarded. This was more of a bazooka, I guess, of information for you guys <laughs> with uh, Kyle Justice, founder of the Awesome Science Media. And as I, I once again, guys, go check out his website. Go to the link below. We're so excited. Yes, the global flood is true. The word of God is true. And we are blessed when we read and heed to his word. God bless you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.